Now this, um, this chapter we just heard read out, it's a remarkable passage on a number of levels. Uh, for one, we get to listen in to a conversation um, within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of course, there are other places in the scripture, in the gospels, where we hear of Jesus praying, where we get to hear some of his prayers. But the depth we get here, uh, the intimacy, uh, the personal nature of it, as God the Son talks to God the Father about some of the most important things in life and the universe. It's an incredible privilege for us to be able to listen in to it. Second thing that's remarkable about this prayer is that we discover that by the end of it, Jesus is actually praying for people today, praying for anyone who believes in him today. Um, I have never had anyone reject my offer of prayer for them. Even my unbelieving friends who don't believe in God, who don't think what I'm doing is going to do anything, even they say to me, thank you so much for praying for me. I really appreciate that. I think it's knowing that someone is thinking about you. Jesus Christ is thinking about us as he prays here for all those in future generations who will believe in him. The third thing that is remarkable about this prayer is its content. As Winston Churchill said, it's not enough to, just to have lived. We need something to live for. And we're going to see Jesus Christ lay it all out for us. The very meaning of life, why we are here, the mission he calls us to. So that's all by way of introduction to this prayer. Let's take a look at it now. First of all, Jesus prays for glory, the glory of the cross, the hour of his death. Let's take a look at verse 1. Page 1085. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come, the hour of his death. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now to glorify something is to make something look good, make something look beautiful, marvelous. It moves people to go, wow, you know, that's amazing. And what is it that Jesus is asking the Father to glorify? <laughs> himself, glorify me, which can sound at first reading somewhat, well, very egotistical and very self-centered. But do you notice why Jesus prays for this? Father, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you, that people would see that you are good and beautiful and marvelous. There is no ego in the Godhead. Father glorifying the Son, the Son glorifying the Father. So that verse too, people might be granted eternal life. And what is eternal life? Verse 3, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ. Here is a prayer that people would see who God really is, what God is really like not made up in their own imaginations, but see him for who he truly is, and that will only come as people see who Jesus Christ is. Because as we've been seeing throughout John's gospel, Jesus is God incarnate, the word made flesh, the full, perfect revelation of God the Father. To see Jesus is to see God, see his glory, the Father's glory. That is how people 
will come to know him, know God, what he's truly like, and have eternal life. And the thing is, where do we get to see where Jesus is really like? Where is it that Jesus is most glorified? Father, the hour has come. And what is the hour in John's gospel? We've seen it so much over the past few months. It is the hour of his death, the glory of the cross. Now, people often talk about someone's crowning glory, that moment in someone's life that really captures who they are, you know, the genius that they are. Um, you could think of da Vinci's Mona Lisa and just the years he spent honing his artistic skills so he can make that smile look different depending on the angle you're looking at it. Roger Federer's 15th Grand Slam, now the most successful tennis player of all time. Beethoven's fifth, Einstein's theory of relativity, Hillary conquering Everest, America putting a man on the moon, these great achievements, these moments of glory, do you see what Jesus Christ's crowning moment of glory is? It might not be what you expect. It is not water into wine, which we've seen in chapter two. It is not raising someone from the dead, as we saw in chapter 11. His crowning moment of glory, his greatest achievement is when he is nailed to a cross and dies as the lamb of God the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep the very author of life himself giving up life for you and for me Greater love has no one than this, Jesus himself said, than to lay your life down for your friends. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ is doing at the end of his life. And not for his friends, but for his enemies. Those just like you and me who by nature aren't interested in him, turn our backs on him, think we can get through life and know better for life than him. If you are someone here looking into Christian things, it is great to have you with us. If you want to know what God is really like, then by all means, look at Jesus' birth and see God himself born into this world and become one of us to reveal himself to us. By all means, look at Jesus' life, his love, his compassion towards all people, his incredible power over nature, evil, death itself. But if you really want to capture who Jesus Christ is, really see the, the wonder, the beauty, his, his ultimate glory, you have got to look at his death. As he pays for your sin, as he loves you to the end, as he opens up the way of forgiveness with God, even though we deserve judgment, can I ask, do you see here, the glory of the cross. There is no one, nothing more good, more beautiful, more marvelous in the whole universe than him, knowing him, what he has done for you and having eternal life through him. Now, many of us here know Jesus Christ already and surely we're wanting to get to know him better. And again, by all means, look at his birth, look at his life. You will get to know him better, but if you really want to grow, in your relationship with Jesus Christ, again, it's to the cross that we must go. As we see the true depths of our sin and how much we need him every day, 
but also we see the depths of his love that he would go to those lengths for us. And the more you appreciate the glory of the cross, the more you will find yourself growing in your love and appreciations and trust and dependence on him. So that's the first thing that Jesus prays for, the glory of the cross. Second thing he prays for in verses 6 to 19 is the ministry of the apostles. Okay, the apostles, they specifically given to Jesus whilst he was on earth. And would you notice here in verses 6 to 19, Jesus' focus on the truth and the word of truth. God's word as truth. So for example, verse 6, and Jesus speaking, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world, these apostles. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Glance down to verse 8. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them, these words. End of verse 11. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Keep them in this truth. Verse 14. I have given them your word, even though the world has hated them. Verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world with this message of truth. Now, do you see the emphasis in these verses on truth and the truth of God's word? And you might think to yourself, why this strong emphasis here? Because it is only through the truth and the truth of God's word that people back then, after Jesus has risen from the dead, died and risen and ascended to heaven, and us today can see and hear about the glory of the cross and what God is really like and come to receive eternal life for themselves. And here we see father and son going into incredible care and attention in protecting this truth and making sure the truth of God's word is accurately available to all those in the world back then through the apostles' ministry, but also for anybody in the world today through the writing down of the apostolic witness in the Bible that we have here. don't know how excited you are for the... Um, Final Star Wars film, number nine, Rise of Skywalker, coming out or coming to a cinema near you in 15 days' time. The fact that I've got the countdown shows you that I'm pretty excited about it. I was reading this week about the lengths that the filmmakers and Disney executives went to to make sure that um, no leaks came out early and just protecting the script and the message of the film. And did you know that um, with some of the rewrites on on the script, they would send a special um, envoy um, to um, the the actors on this dark red paper that was impossible to be photocopied in case they lost it or anything like that. The envoys, when they got these rewrites from the script, would give it to the actors, watch them as they read it, and then ask for it straight back afterwards so that it couldn't go in anybody else's hands. With the actors, as they came out of the trailers to film scenes, they would put these oversized trench coats on them so that paparazzi couldn't take long-range photos of the costumes and maybe guess what's going on in the scene. I mean, the attention to detail, this like, the lengths they went to to guard this truth of, you know, this Star Wars. This is just a film. It's just a Star Wars film. And the reason I mention it is because as we come here and we're thinking of how God is protecting the words of eternal life, the truth, what lens do you think he's going to go to? He's going to leave nothing to chance. 
No possibility for Chinese whispers or things getting lost in translation. Father to son, son to apostles, father and son, protect the apostles, guard the truth, send them out into the world, help them with it, and as they get to the end of their lives, help them to write it down for us. Do you realize how precious these words are that you are holding in your hands on your lap right now? These are the words of eternal life. This is how you see the glory of the cross, who Jesus really is, who God really is, and can have life with him forever. We had a student recently join us at church. I was interested to know how he'd ended up with us. I presumed that he was new to London as a student and and therefore had grown up in a Christian home, had some Christian background. You know, mum and dad nurtured him in the faith and having come to London, he was looking for a new church. It wasn't the case at all. I was chatting to someone about it. He mentioned that this guy had no Christian background at all. He was actually a third-year student. He was studying finance. He wants to be a trader in the city or thinking about that. And he just noticed the Bible on his shelf one day. Thought, might as well give it a read. People say it's all right. Might do something for me. Starts reading it. Like is captivated by Jesus and what he's reading. I think his exact words were that this makes sense of my life. It is the most reasonable thing I have ever read. The most reasonable thing he has ever read. And through reading it over a period of a few months, is drawn to faith in Jesus Christ and thinks, oh, I better come to a church. And that's why he came along one Sunday. Never underestimate the truth of God's word to make sense of people's lives. There is an immense power in these words because these words come from the apostles who themselves received the words from God the Son who himself received the words from God the Father. When you read these words, you are hearing God himself, your maker, speaking to you. And when God speaks to you, anything can happen. That is why Jesus is praying for the ministry of the apostles. Third thing. And final thing Jesus prays for is the mission of every believer. Let me read from verse 20. My prayer, Jesus says, is not for them alone, not just for the apostles. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God's mission continues today. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends the apostles. Father and Son protect the apostles, the apostolic witness, but the apostles are no longer with us. So who is going to send the apostolic message out into the world today? You and me, if we are followers of Jesus Christ. We are the ones to take the message of Jesus to our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, this city. And do you see that God wants us to be absolutely united, one, in this mission and purpose, just as Father and Son are one in it too? 
I don't know if you followed Iliad Kipchoge's mission to run a marathon in under two hours. He did it, if you didn't know, one hour, 59 and 40 seconds or something. Incredible achievement. First man in history to do it. Um, hats off to him. What struck me um, about this mission accomplished was how many people were involved in it. You know, there were th they said on the 300 to 400, it seems like quite a wide range, I don't understand why they can't be more accurate than that, but let's call it 300. 300 people involved in it. They had seven runners running with him the whole distance in this inverted V around him to minimize the wind resistance. They had a car driving just in front of them with these green lasers firing down on the ground to show them exactly where each of them needed to be running and at what pace they needed to continue to run at. They had a structural engineer who surveyed the surface of the entire 26.2 miles, and on just one of the roundabouts, he noticed the minus 2% camber. And so they decided to dig up the roundabout and resurface it, so it was at plus 1%, so he didn't slow down at all. They had the, some of the greatest middle distance and long distance runners with him as pace makers throughout. They brought in David Brailsford of UK Cycling and Tour de France Frame to oversee the whole thing. I don't know how much money Ineos, the sponsors, poured into it, but what you saw here was this incredible sense of purpose and determination towards one goal, one mission, in this together, and the joy on all their faces. Not just the one guy, Elliot, who did it, but all of them down to the technicians when he succeeded in it was just overwhelming. Now look, that is a wonderful thing, what Eliab Kipchoge has done. But can you see that the mission that Jesus Christ is calling us to do is far, far greater? I'm not downplaying Eliab's achievement. It is wonderful for one person to run like this. We are talking about billions of people and their eternal well-beings. The joy on our faces when we see one person put their faith in Jesus Christ. This is the greatest mission of all. And Jesus calls every single believer to it. Notice this is a unity of mission in truth and love. Last thing to see. Truth we've already looked at in the second point, but we see it again in verse 20. Jesus wants to highlight it. People can only believe through the message. That is the apostolic message, the truth about Jesus Christ revealed to us in the Bible. One of the terrible mistakes the Church of England leadership is making at the moment is trying to have unity for unity's sake. Unity even when there are profound disagreements about the truth. And Jesus says that is no unity at all. He calls us to a unity in the gospel, unity in the truth revealed here. It is a unity with boundaries, a unity where we will have to say graciously and winsomely, culture may say that about human gender and sexuality. The Bible says this. And this is our truth, God's truth, and have unity around it. We must not shy away from the truth and mission. We must, must not dumb down the truth and mission. We need to be united in the truth and mission contained here. Through it, as we are united, Jesus promises people will believe that Jesus is really from 
the Father. It's not just a unity in truth, it's also a unity in love. Jesus finishes his prayer in verse 25 saying, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. We are not meant to just hit people over the heads with the Bible. We are to love them. We are to speak about the message of God's love and then to model that love in our lives. Our actions must reflect our words. Just last week, one of you mentioned how much you like the talks here because of the sense of community, the way people come early to chat beforehand, stay afterwards, sacrifice time and energies to get to know one another. And that is a wonderful thing. And that is no doubt a precious commodity in the cutthroat environments that many of you are working in each day. The world needs to see this sort of love. A love of sacrifice, a love of giving time and energy up for others because it is the love that Jesus Christ has shown us. Truth and love together. Some of you will lean into the truth side and you'll be a little bit abrasive in the way you go about mission. Others of you will lean into the love side in mission and never really get to talking about Jesus and the glory of the cross. But we need both. Truth and love together. You daunted by this? being sent into mission, into the offices. I heard a story just before this lunchtime about someone who's trying to plan a carol service and it got cancelled at the last minute because of the truth of the gospel. Are you daunted by Jesus sending us on mission? I know I am. I imagine we all are. Remember, this is a prayer. Jesus is praying for us. We are being upheld now In this prayer, you are never alone in mission, even if you're the only person in your office. God's power is at work with you. So let's go on this mission. Let's invite lots to the carol service next Wednesday and the following Wednesday. And let's see more answers to this prayer. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, what a wonderful passage of Scripture. What a prayer for us to be brought in on Jesus' intimate, personal conversation with you and what it shows us about the central reality of the cross, that that is where we see who Jesus really is and, and who you really are, full of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and how so many people have a wrong view of you. As you sent the apostles out and we've got their testimony written here, please would you send us out with this message that me people might have an opportunity to hear how wonderful, how good, how marvelous you are, that they may say, wow, that's amazing. I want to follow Jesus Christ today. Please empower us. Please give us boldness as we go back now to live for you in truth and love and invite people to hear about you in the next carol services coming up. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.